Yes, welcome to the Cannabis Connection. How you doing, Santa Cruz? How you feeling? Happy Friday, TGIF. Thank goodness it's a holiday week, and I hope you had a great week. For all the farmers, all the yardeners, all the gardeners, harvest soon come. Those ladies are stacking, stacking so sweet and nice, so nice I got to feel them twice. It's getting really exciting out there, and I just wanted to say, you know, I hope you enjoy your holiday, but take care of yourself. Stay safe and take care of each other. My guest this evening, I'm honored, I'm stoked, we're looking forward to this, Nathaniel Pennington. He is the founder and CEO of Humboldt Seed Company. He's been breeding cannabis and working to restore rivers and populations of salmon in Humboldt County for over 20 years. He worked in salmon genomics prior to cannabis, which gave him the understanding for the need of unbiased cannabis genome research, especially in this new industry. Nathaniel has founded several nonprofits, most recently the Nature Rights Council. He does have a background working with indigenous populations and, and empowering indigenous po- populations to, to steward their lands and, and, and reconnect with nature. Nathaniel believes creative breeding is the way forward for craft farmers and cannabis. This is most most important. is is a plant for the people and not a corporate commodity. Welcome, Nat. Welcome to the Cannabis Connection. Thanks for having me. Give thanks, man. Tell our audience where you where you at in the world today. I'm at the our sort of anchor farm we call it up here in the mountains of Humboldt County, and kind of like the northeast part of Humboldt, but it's it's about, you know, hour, hour and a half from our other distribution, what we call the Seed Lab, our distribution facility in Eureka. So, and far, and, yeah, the farming has been pressing on throughout this pandemic, correct? You got to make hay in the sun when the sun's shining. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I mean... We've had, honestly, like the demand for seeds keeps going up, and it seemed like it, you know, it was hard to say, but it seemed like people wanted to do more gardening. I like your term. I got to give you props for yardener. That's a one I haven't heard, and I love it. Is that when you fill yeah. your entire your entire <laughs> yard? Full. <laughs> Yardner. Yeah, yeah, you're gardening, but it's your yard and, and you know, there's many types of yards all over all over the map. It's kinda open for interpretation, but it's it's getting excited about being outside and and making the most of what you have. Yeah, I like it. Definitely from C always say We always say cannabis is a garden gateway drug. Oh, big it time. Gets people, it gets people into gardening. I mean I know a lot of like young folks that started with cannabis, you know, I mean in Humboldt, this is kind of a phenomena that hopefully goes elsewhere as well, but up up here in the Emerald Triangle or even in California in general, you see young, you know, when I say young, I mean 21 kind of young. But um folks like that age, around that age will get into cannabis gardening and next thing you know, they're on to the salad greens and so yeah it's a garden gateway drug (laughs) amen i'm full solidarity with that too because i think more of that age group too could could use some uh reconnecting and rekindling a connection to the earth and uh, a little less connection to the ig and then in the phone i think it's a really timely thing that you know the cannabis could be a gateway to agriculture and 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 yeah the organic side of things and and growing food i totally agree i think it's i'm hoping that that's one of the side benefits that that come out of it's time you know, the more acceptance and legalization i guess little victory gardens too being home a lot i, I believe that led to uh more participation in digging into you mentioned it from the top of the hour the demand for seed is is booming maybe you could speak to that a bit and just the the shifts from from cuttings and 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 just the dependence on clones that typically are vectors to 
the benefits from growing from seed. I think that might be a cool spot to start. It's not to throw anyone under the bus, but I do believe in my personal experience that taproot is really clutch and seedlings really you can look at the canopy in our yardening experience in in empire you know up in the santa cruz mountains and see the those seedlings are almost double in size so vigorous so healthy i would love to hear your thoughts on that from a from your experience with the shift here in in this post-pandemic era of farming and yardening cannabis Yeah, um, you know that. I guess that was a lot, but you know that. I'll I'll start first on. You know, just some of the pros and cons of of seed versus clones, and we obviously, you know, as breeders, like we, a good breeder should use both. I mean, you should definitely be. Clones can help you get make more uniform and stable seed more quickly. And uh, they're essential for phenotype hunting and all the different tools that we have in, in the breeder tool chest. But, um, and, and there are other, many other benefits. I mean, obviously like one of the most obvious, and I think one of the rise of the clone or rooted cutting for those that, don't know cannabis too well um is is just that cannabis is of course dioecious meaning that it has a male and a female counterpart that are separate plants so if folks don't know the female plant is the one that produces the buds that we all you know know and love and the male plant on the other hand really is just kind of there for reproduction. The female also would produce seeds if it was exposed to the male pollen. So the marketable, let's just say, or the uh, intrinsically valuable counterpart is the female plant. And since, you know, so essentially the clone revolution, you know, the clone thing was like, well, Let's have them, they'll all be female. If we just take cuttings off of this female plant, then everything that we plant is, of course, going to be female. And so that was huge in the beginning, especially when people were just learning about uh, cannabis anatomy and identifying at a young age the difference between the male and the female. Um, One of the other things that was nice about clones is just the uniformity factor and that kind of came in a lot more when cannabis started to you know be used a lot more commercially in a broader way in at least in california um you know as humboldt seed company we've been breeding here in california since like the mid late 90s and it was really in like the early 2000s, like 2004, 2005, we started to see folks coming that wanted larger batches of flour and wanted it all to be the same. So they wanted, you know, first it was 10 pounds, and then it was, we want a 20 pack, and then it, you know, it went up and up from there, let's just say. And sure. So the yeah, orders, yeah, all the same flavor. Yeah. Right. And it's not, you know, like this was just generally, I mean, in the Emerald Triangle or in California, it's like, you know, medical and things like that were kind of happening and, and um, uh, distribution networks were developing. And so growers would come and they'd be like, well, you know, we had the best, we had the biggest plants from your seeds and we had, in our opinion, some of the best flour, but, you know, then the buyers come and they say, oh, well, you know, this bag looks different from that bag. And so, yeah, phenotypes, it's different, you know, we want 20 of the same. And, and so folks would say, you know, can you make your seeds more uniform? And so we started working on that back in, in the early 2000s. And, wow. and so actually it's kind of a long, it's, it's sort of an arduous process because, um, I often find myself comparing 
uh, cannabis breeding to like dog breeding and, and clones are kind of like often like mutts and you can have some of the best dogs in the world are mutts, right? Like I, my best dog I ever had was a mutt. Oh yeah. And, uh, and that's great. You know, they're healthy and, and they do well, but if you want something that's like repeatable, then you get into breeding and that's, you know, where the generations golden retrievers came and the, you know, and, and, and people just, you know, decided like, well, this is the dog that I like for this reason. And so I'm just going to go ahead and, and put energy into making uniform lines. And that's kind of how all breeding has, has uh, come along with, with humanity in a lot of ways. And that's how we have, you know, all of the corn and broccoli and all these different things that, you know, if you look back to their um, sort of before, you know, before human interaction, um, you know, they may have unbelievable traits that we miss, but a lot of the time it's like they're less, somewhat less productive or less desirable. And that's why we've melded them to be the way they are. And that's just simply through selection. I mean, and it's, yeah. it's not, you wouldn't call it natural selection because it's not like the pressures of uh, the environment. But, sure. But it's just, you know, it's anthropogenic selection. So the art people, of selection. Yeah. The human yeah. piece. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, um, you know, but as of late with seed, so those are like the reason that's like why clones, you know, and, and I always like to start with that because um, clones are are awesome and they've done huge, made huge leaps and bounds for the cannabis space. I mean, just having that yeah. consistency, like for medicine too, you know, I mean, that it's something. We, yeah, it, it built this. It built the culture quite a bit. We had JJ of NYC Top Dog speaking about the New York scene in the early 80s from the late 70s Cheech and Chong era to the heavy Reagan era and the war on drugs, but the development of, of ChemDog and, and maybe rebranding ChemDog as that diesel smoke, that sour diesel. And, and yeah. But the biggest issue was those were clone only. So, yeah. so there was a need... To, to make seed and, and some people would make that pilgrimage to Amsterdam and get some of those Sensi seed or, or Sativa seed bank uh, and, and, and bring, you know, select males from like the Afghanica, the legendary older lines to just preserve that chem cutting because it was such a gnarly prohibition era. Right. But we're exactly. losing things. I mean, That's one con of the clone. Is things can happen or they can get sick or be vectors for disease where a seed is a bit of a fresh start and you can store it better. Right, exactly. And, you know, if you take a classic chem dog cut and, you know, and by the way, props to Top Dog. I, those guys are amazing. They do amazing work and also good fishermen as well. <laughs> really? I love his fishing pictures. Yeah, living the dream in Colorado. I know. I do a lot of fishing as well. Oh, good so. for you. Well, and Ed was a fish biologist for you. You were salmon. Right That's right. Salmon, Gino, yeah. and, and, and save it, you know, working on those rivers, working for the indigenous connection, the Salmon River. Right. It was the Salmon River. Yeah. It's but I special. guess, well, that's another topic. So, we'll, yeah. the, like, if you take ChemDog and you bring in anything that's, like, kind of in that genre is how I like to describe it sometimes and and cross it, then, yes, you're not going to ever have a seed that is 100% that exact clone of that pure chem dog. But phenotypically or even, like, the chemotype, let's just say, whatever you want to use to describe, it could be basically for all essential purposes, the same. And you'll find that if you hunt through hundreds of the offspring of that pairing. You'll find the one that looks just like mom. And, um, you know, that's 
So that's a great way. You're absolutely right. That's a great way to kind of put um, cuts that we all love and cherish in sort of a preservation yeah. mode. Because preservation is I mean, key. There's, there's like tissue culture and and things like that. And that, you know, those things are often sort of people hold those kinds of methods high in highly esteemed, but we've done quite a bit of work with tissue culture and it's, it's a fairly arduous process. And it also, you know, you have to tend to that, you know, that tissue culture, you have to, uh, essentially re, redo a tissue culture plant, you know, at least once every six months or so, depending That's on the right. species. And, and so there's an amount of maintenance that goes along and it's, you can risk that, you know, it can, you can have a power outage that lasts for, you can lose it and it can be gone. And Wildfires, PG and E, these are things that can happen. <laughs> We're dealing with it every off. year, every year. All the time, yeah. It's yeah, like, something to consider now. No longer can you just depend on having electricity in the United States, it feels like. This is like wow, yes, unfortunately. Unless you have solar. Like, we've got a nice solar system. and Good for you, that's Our huge. farm up in the hills. Like, our anchor farm has always been what I like to call appropriate technology, and it's kind of just... You know, we we didn't start Humboldt Seed Company with some, you know, twenty million dollar venture capital investment and be able, you know, create this like mega facility that was, you know, purpose built for for breeding cannabis. So, the, and there are some downsides to that, but there's a ton of upside to it as well because we've. Like, from personal experience, everything that we've put together here for breeding is fairly customized to be able to handle whether it's, like, our, I don't want to say new, but, you know, within the last five or six years, like, our auto flower lines and uh, keeping those well segregated from everything else and um, just in general breeding segregate like keeping your breeding areas um from free from contamination from unwanted pollen yes and then key and we have you know at least at any given time here at our we also have a facility down in um, nevada county too but i'd say between the two nurseries and cultivations that we have in those locations will probably have, you know, around 40 or 50 chambers actively either breeding or ripening seed at any given time. And then all of these different farms have uh, sensimia going as well. Like Amazing. So you're working, you're growing out the work. Yeah. So we're, like doing the R&D on the, I mean, they're devoted to seed production. Like the whole facility is built out around that, but anywhere where we can kind of fit a little pheno hunt plot, of course, uh, or, you know, just fit in some flour we do. So we've got flour peppered out all across, but, um, the, one of the ways that we're testing ourselves is that we, you know, end up with seedless flowers still, even though the farm is, <laughs> you know, it's literally covered with pollination chambers like everywhere. Um, and that's one of the ways that we kind of truth the, the fact that there's not contamination. Cause not only does pollen not escape one chamber, but it, it doesn't like we have, there's a secondary kind of containment because it would have to go out of one and then make it back in through the filters of another. And then whereas we'll have a chamber that's got active or, I mean, like flowering plants within five or six feet of it and, uh, you know, that don't have a secondary 
filter that are just out in the open air, and those don't end up getting seeded. So it's fascinating. Funny. Yeah, is it all open air pollination, or are you doing the old? No. Okay, got it. No, so we have each one of them has its own greenhouse, and we have all different sizes because, you know, it's not. That's another thing of being able to kind of build and be nimble and kind of customize it as yeah, the industry has appropriate technology. Yeah, so got, I mean, we've got anywhere from like we literally have pollination chambers that are five by six feet wide, and then wow, proximity. But, but most no five like they're that small. They're five uh, by five feet by six feet uh, at the base. But most of them are, you know, thirty by twenty, and there's a good set of them that are more like, you know, fifteen. They they range anywhere from a thousand square feet, which is sort of one of our bigger ones, down to. You know, literally like 30 or 40 square feet. Which I, is I, the smallest well, and the smallest. plants are in those smaller spaces. They're close together to, to ensure some viability and fertility, like success. Well, that's true. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I learned as we started doing more and more feminized pollination was that the, that pollen is not, it's much more precious. And so, to get a female plant to, or excuse me, to get, yeah, to get a female plant to produce pollen um, with silver, it, they're not, the morphology of the flower doesn't change, just the sex organ of the flower. So you, it's not like a male where it's built to, Cannabis is, is a wind-pollinated plant, evolutionarily. Yeah, so, it's putting um, up a sail almost. Exactly. So when, when you look at male plants, their flower shape or morphology is just these umbels of dangling anthers that are just ready for the little gusts of wind to shake them, and then that pollen just kind of shakes itself out and... Um, and travels through the air to the nearest female plant. And and that's, I would guess, 95% of the time. How? I'm sorry. They're blowing the, the dinner conch at the farm. Oh, have, wonderful. That's so great. <laughs> we have a, a... That's so cool. I was going to run to the beach. I was going to run to the beach and skinny dip, but I guess it's dinner time at your house. It's farm so cool. dinner. It's like late, you know, our late dinner. We're Love done, it. and I'm, on, oh, that's I'm on the radio show, and there's about, I don't know, 10 people here. We're going to have dinner together. But, I'm so happy to hear but that. But I'm going to stay on the show, obviously. Thank you. Yeah, we're halfway. I mean, I'm loving this breakdown. It's really informative. I, many listeners, I doubt, know the details of how things are done, specifically the feminized process. I think that's really what you I, I want you to continue. Sorry to interrupt. No, I our, our conch shell interruption. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty cool interruption. <laughs> it's like uh, Lord of the Flies. Exactly. Anyway, um, so, so the way you do the feminized seeds is you take a female plant, one that's known and and hopefully tested and vetted and truthed out and and doesn't have inherent problems like, you know, hermaphroditism or stuff like that, uh, intersex traits, and you apply silver to it. Now, there's different sort of delivery methods for that silver. Um, one of the more common ones is colloidal silver, which um, it's fairly easy to make. You can, regardless, it's ionic silver in solution, and... So the element silver mixed with water is the most basic way of, of doing this. And then once the silver gets into the, um, you know, you spray it onto the plant and then it's absorbed a little bit into the plant. And that silver uh, inhibits the plant's ability to produce female flower, but it doesn't. And so if you 
have a little bit of an understanding of, of genetics, there's females are XX chromosome and males are XY chromosomes. And so what I say sometimes is that we, like everybody could be a default male, but there's genetic material that females actually possess that males in a species often would not. And so uh, that actually plays well for being able to make these all-female seeds because what you do is the silver stops the, the ability for the plant to form the female organs, and so it goes default, which is sort of like the function of the XY and uh, chromosome. So it, it forms a male flower because you're you're telling the plant it's time to flower or if it's an auto flower it's telling itself it's time to flower and but you don't change like i mentioned before the morphology of the flower stays the same so it's still making these buds but the buds all have pollen sacs and anthers in them and so those flowers then open and because it's a different shape sometimes that pollen is much harder to uh get at or to get airborne and and so it takes a little bit more work yeah and we actually do like we do have confinement in these chambers sometimes and because that pollen is a little bit precious it's it's actually much significantly more challenging to um breed and make feminized seeds in in my experience than it is to make regular seeds but um I think that, you know, both regular breeding and feminized breeding are, are awesome. And people should, you know, even hobby people that, that might just want to do this as a little experiment, I would encourage everybody to, to try it because it's a lot of fun. And pollen's not as scary to a cannabis grower as one might think, or they shouldn't be as scared of it, let's just say. And you can kind of contain it a lot more simply, especially once you, like, have the male plants going. You, you get to watch the flower petals, because they do have petals, technically. And you watch them open and monitor when the pollen is escaping from the anther, which is like the little yellow banana that looks like it's a banana. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and, and you just be careful, you know, like, when it's about to do that, what I used to do back in the day... Like in the late nineties, I just move would move it into my closet, and oh wow, I would I would collect some pollen in the closet, and sometimes that even if I had a female that was mobile, like it was in a pot, I would just you know it would be like cannabis spin the bottle. I'd be like, who wants to go in the closet? Seven minutes time? in heaven, yeah, just let her let yeah. nature take its course. Yep, and it would come back out, and it, lo and behold, it was. Uh, expecting (laughs) but there's other ways you know that i mean people have probably heard about the paintbrush and the brown paper bags and this that the other but um it's just not like you don't have to be as scared as you might think to like ruin your whole crop with seeds and um so so folks try it and and even the feminized stuff while it while it is or can be a little bit more challenging sometimes it's not it really depends what genetic you're working with some of them just do it more easily than others so but, true you know, Can you definitely be careful about like like you have to be super careful about intersex traits that happen without the um the silver application because those are inherent intersex traits and will produce intersex uh, plants you believe and, and then, yeah, like, I mean, one of the most, uh, Ryan, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, a guy I, I actually look up to a bunch. Um, oh, I'll, I'll remember his name in a minute. But he, he just says, like begets like. And that's like the most core principle of breeding that you need to remember. So if you have a plant that... Um, produced pollen that you 
you know, was unintentional. And so, like, you'll hear a lot of people like, oh, I'm good. I found a seed in my bag from the dispensary. Well, that is, I would say, certainly unintentionally there. Like, no one is trying to make seeds in their bags for dispensaries. And so that more than likely came from uh, an intersex flower that was unwanted or, you know, undiscovered and, uh, and unwanted. And so if you then move down the line with that, then in theory, you, you know, you could be selecting for that intersex trait and then like begets like. And so, so the more intersex offspring. offspring. Yeah. Ooh, right. Exactly. Scary. But, but, you know, there's all sorts of different things that cause intersex. I mean, every single cannabis plant has the capacity to make um, stress. Every female plant has the capacity to make male flowers. Not, it's not necessarily the other way around, but that's, that's true. <laughs> if only. <laughs> yeah, when with the silver timing, can you speak to yeah. that? Yeah. Well, you want to. You want to. It takes so the the changing of the sex, kind of is a sort of a pause in the development of the plant and it seems to slow it down. So you want to start that process before you um, trigger the recipient or the receiver, we call it, um, into flower. So the donor needs a head start. The pollen donor needs a head start before the, the receiver will will get it. So you, and, can, uh, you can spray... In veg, before flower. Yeah, you can, you can, and but but you also want to start the flowering process on the plant that you ha- plan to have as a donor. I see. Before early yeah. in flower or in the transition. So you just want to start the like if you've got, let's say you're selfing a plant and you have two blueberry muffin clones and one. You, um, you know, you intend one of them to be the producer of pollen and the other one to be the receiver of the pollen and hence the producer of seed. You want to start the one that you intend to be the producer of pollen, starting that into flower. Uh, depending on strain, you know, somewhere around a week or two before you start the recipient plant um, before you trigger it into flower. So, if that's making sense. It's, so I it's do. Not, it's giving time yeah. for that transition to produce the pollen and then you kind of bring the female once you have a week or two of the the pollen donor making that switch to have bananas and produce XX chromosome pollen for the Correct. receiver, which will produce the seed. It does make sense. Yeah, you're picking up what I'm putting down. I like sure. it. Thank but you. Those, it's a good breakdown. There, for those that are out there that are just listening and may not be as interested as, as you and I are, <laughs> but, you know, so essentially <laughs> In the, weeds the way about weeds. the feminized seeds are made is that what you mentioned was crucial because the pollen that is then produced out of that reversed sex plant only possesses XX chromosomes. And so it's landing it's landing on the stigma or pistol or whatever you want to call it, the the female organ of the other plant and pollinating it and traveling down the pollen tube and into the ovum, which is an unfertilized egg, uh, which would it would form a seed if it is fertilized that every female plant cannabis plant has an ovum inside the the bract or what people call the calyx a lot and so there's little mini dinky dinky looking thing green kind of baby baby seed uh almost microscopic and that thing once the the xx pollen goes down in it 
it has XX chromosomes in it as well because, of course, it's from a female plant. And so when, like, cellular meiosis happens, and in nature you'd have one, you'd have 50% chance that it's going to divide and go the male direction and inherit that part of the genome or another 50% that it's going to take on the female sex from its mother's side. And, uh, but you've got all this like recombination happening in, in that moment of conception. And, you know, there's all different trait inheritance that's happening or like genetic recombination, but you don't really have much of a chance of, of it, going the male direction because there's no <laughs> no which way goes male <laughs> so you all <laughs> there's nothing there yeah right there's no like no part of that no y no xy yes, yes. no no x or no y right? that's right no y uh, one thing no I, and i did have a the privilege of, of checking out our mutual friend neil's garden big up santa cruz cannabis company and the, and another thing for the yardeners that's really blasting off is the day neutral genetics, the autoflower and the chunkadelic in person was it's come such a long way, even from like me experiencing and experimenting in 2019 and 2020 with uh, seeds I got from friends in, in Potter Valley or just just kind of rootsy exper- R&D. But the yep. chunkadelic was a legit greenhouse that looked full term, but they were all autoflowers. Can you just speak to that? And your, I see here the the dark devil headband crossed with the magic melon auto, um, and just your you know your journey there and of of developing really nice profile t- uh, tangy, tangerine skunky fuel terpene profiles with. Flowers that are dense and not that typical fluffy autoflower phenotype, and just the the evolution and progression of autoflowers in the industry in the space. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing that was just the main eye opener for me was when I, I mean, first starting to grow them, I don't know, seven eight years ago, and then seeing that there was a lot of potential with just the fact that you don't have to wait all the way till the fall or use light deprivation, which I mean, if folks hard work, know, it's a lot of work and uses a ton of creates a ton of unnecessary plastic and uh, terrible. Yeah. No matter, so true. No matter whether you have like a really professional setup and you know, the plastic is going to last 10, 15 years. That's great. Or, you know, like many of us have, done it with tarps for years or whatever those tarps might only last a few years and so it's a bunch of waste that we don't need in the world um that said just after realizing that and and starting to see what happens when you uh interbreed the day neutral or auto flowering type with the what we call photo period or photosensitive type the ones that flower after the light starts to wane in the fall or on after light dap or whatever, which is like 99% of popular cannabis varieties in, in this country um, are that, uh, the photo period type. And so what, what I saw was that the inheritance was actually, I mean, over the last three or four years, it's become evident that you can very quickly through like natural breeding, basically. Um, I mean, we're not doing gene editing or splicing or any of that stuff. Um, but, you know, we are sometimes using uh, genetic sequencing as a tool to understand and to, to identify trait inheritance. But, um, once again, not <laughs> gene editing or making GMOs. Once again, uh, the the malleability of it, and so essentially through the breeding, through natural breeding techniques, being able to cut and paste just that autoflowering trait into 
really, really awesome types. Really, you know, I still go back to the word dank because it's kind of a catch-all. It's a great, <laughs> like, it's a great certification. Big up, sir, certified dank. <laughs> it's our homies. Yeah, certified dank. So, like, to be able to take the dankest of dank cannabis and meld it in and basically cut and paste this autoflower trade into it is is awesome and it's saving game it's changer. Like efficient it's it's a game changer i mean like even for indoor people if you have done a bunch of indoor stuff you know that when you switch from you know 20 hour light or whatever you're on for veg to grow or to flower there's a lot of things that have to change in your grower like you have to you oh, may yeah. go from like like doing an some kind of cooling system to dissipate the heat that comes from 20 hours of light to having to actually then heat your room because now you've got 12 hours of darkness and it's like wet in there during that time. And all these different things that happen that kind of use energy that we don't have or shouldn't be using, I don't think, as uh, humans anymore. <laughs> um, that you, you don't have to do those changes because you can leave it on 20 hours of light the entire time. And really all that does is make the buds get bigger, faster, and you just produce more. So, you know, and, and when it's outdoor and you can plant uh, just like you were growing corn or tomatoes and three months later, two and a half months later often, you've got these beautiful ripe buds so you know if you plant on march 1st you're looking you know mid-june even to that you can be pulling your first harvest and uh you know for the backyard grower that's that's huge because you can have fresh ganja year-round basically that's that's huge for people in yeah. certain parts of the country too, they don't necessarily have a lot of sun, or there's all these factors in uh, friends and family. I know Jeff Lowenfels is in in Alaska, and he thinks this day neutral autoflower journey is is like the early girl tomato, and it's just going to blossom amongst home growers and gardeners yeah. and it just makes the it makes things so accessible yeah but i mean i just i can't believe how much of the intrinsic qualities that we love about our modern cultivars like og kush or whatever the heck it is that that uh floats your boat they there isn't really baggage that comes with the autoflower like it doesn't have to and so if folks are doing a really good job breeding, you know, sort of breeding out those negatives and just keeping that one positive trait. Um, and, and, you know, it's not even that the traits that came with the original autoflowers from Siberia are all that negative. It was kind of like, from what I've seen, like the low rider and some of those really you know, older original autoflower varieties. I like them, and but I'm not. We breed a lot of really strong, strong cannabis, and and that's cool because there's a bunch of people that need that as medicine, and people want that for some reason. You know, people yeah, really care about yeah. THC and all that, the, the levels of THC, and and so we do it. But just to be honest, like. When I, I mean, uh, my f expectation is when THC isn't such a commodity, which it it shouldn't be. Like it, it shouldn't ever have been illegal in the first place. And and so when it's much more accessible, people are going to care way more about the other aspects of entourage effect and the terpene profile. Yeah, Absolutely. Hey, like, Nat, we have a caller. I just want to bring that to your attention. I want to give – it looks like an 808 maybe from the islands. Um, is it cool if we bring a caller on real fast? I'd love that. All right. Okay, welcome, caller. You're on the Cannabis Connection. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys. I had a question about uh, 
Feminized versus regular seed. Would you rather grow a female that was a regular seed or a female that came from a feminized pack? I grew a pack of your uh, gnats. Magic Melon is all female feminized pack. Came out killer. I went to go get some more seeds and um, there was only regulars left. So I'm, I just popped those now. So yeah, my question is, you know, is there any advantage to getting a regular female over a feminized female? You know, there doesn't have to be any advantage. And to be honest, like our regular Magic Melons are one of my favorite regulars. Like I think we'll keep, for whatever reason, I think we'll keep regular Magic Melon around for a long time, even though we we may have to eventually phase some of our other regular stuff out. But um, that's a great question. And from like a breeding perspective, there are some advantages to feminized breeding one of them being like as i mentioned before that you actually can look at the flower you can smoke it you can test it whatever the heck you have to do you can basically vet the flower out before you decide to turn it into a pollinator whereas i don't know you know i would get really like i would take a deep dive into the bushes of, of our male plants and select the hell out of them to create the strains that we have. But to be honest, like I couldn't tell from looking at a male flower, what the female counterpart of that would have been. Whereas with uh, doing the feminine breeding, you can see it a lot. You know, it's just crystal clear because it's you, you can see it and then decide, okay, I'm going to turn this into a pollinator. So you have a little okay. bit more power, but when it comes to like, just I being mean, a gardener, I'm a gardener, a gardener looking for flower and I like to go seed versus yeah. cuttings. So is there, you know, a difference from the flower, just flower wise, feminized versus no. regular? No. Okay. There's, there's really no, no inherent difference. Um, cool. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I could dive into like this phenomena called hybrid vigor or heterosis, and that that actually, like regular breeding, you're more likely to end up with this this hybrid vigor vigor phenomena. Sure, but but um, it, with proper feminized breeding, you don't really lose that if you do it correctly, but. really interesting there's a magic melon auto i'm looking at right now it's exciting yeah. stuff and give thanks for calling in from from hawaii oh give yeah, thanks the pleasure sure. to talk to you i've seen you on on all the gosh on the youtube with kevin jodry and the, whatever meetings you do i respect you and my my buddy pickle i think done some work for you out there anyways wow oh, yeah. so cool <laughs> yeah, i love it one of our buddy breeders, uh, Sticky Fingers Seed Company in Hawaii, makes some amazing seeds as well. So, or actually, okay. I think he's in. Uh, I think he might be in oh. Hawaii, but over yeah. on the yeah. island somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> shoot, shoot, right on. Aloha, brother. Aloha. Give thanks, man. Okay. Aloha. Good thanks time. for the support. Yes, sir. All right. Okay, we're getting close to the. Top of the hour, Nat, and just for for everybody listening, uh, would you, uh, you know, how how would they engage with you? I mean, these are in the dispensaries, correct? But also for farms listening, there's options to to source through these groups. You have your 
legacy spot up well, where, where you are now, and then you have a spot in, in like, wine country. Can you shed light? I just want to give you an opportunity yeah, before yeah. we run out of time just to, to plug and let everyone know. I, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. I've learned a lot, and usually things fly. I mean, we're right at an hour, and this is excellent. I really appreciate you. I felt like we dove dove deep there. We did, cool. man. I did, too. I liked it. I love getting yeah. in the weeds with weed. It's like anatomy of weed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah, our website is the best way to interact with us because the Perfect. Instagram DMs just go crazy. And we have a really awesome customer service. Uh, Hannah is the head of that, and she's super great. And we are really responsive. And, yes, we are in dispensaries all over the great state of California. Um, we actually have some operations going in Oregon and Oklahoma. And so we have, like, licensed stuff happening in a number of different states. And But in Cali, if you're a licensed farmer and you're doing the whole kind of commercial thing and you need seeds through metric, we're more than happy to provide that as well. But pretty much all of this, like, if you just want to go to the dispensary and grow your own, we have a store finder on our website, and so you can just go there and uh, see what's the closest store to you. We have a number of them in Santa Cruz, um, and we love Santa Cruz. We love the community down there. We, I go down there every year with my family. And Hit up, Smiley. It. Hit me up when you come down. We're connected now. I will. I will. Give good thanks. Um, and so, yeah, licensed folks, just please email us because we'll um, go a different route because the dispensary, oh, that's like a whole. A whole nother show. <laughs> yeah, it's like a whole nother thing. <laughs> well, thank you, Nat. And the website is HumboldtSeedCompany.com. Uh, everything's there, very responsive. Big ups, Hannah. And uh, thank you, Santa Cruz. Stay up and, and take Take most excellent care of each other. Be most excellent to each, you know, to each other this weekend. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe. Wear your mask. And uh, I just want to give Nat the last word. We're in our last 30 seconds. Oh, Santa Cruz, we love you. Stay iry. Uh, enjoy the sunshine and grow great cannabis in your backyards. Fill it up. And, uh, yeah. Try those autoflowers. Explore. Push yourself. Try breeding. Try feminized. Explore the, the change that we talked about tonight and stay up. Have a wonderful holiday weekend. I'm Smiley Green. This is the Cannabis Connection. We'll talk to you next week.